Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. All right, we're starting a brand new series. And right out the gate, I want you to know it's going to provide you with some questions. Okay, Um, and this is intentional because uh, we shamelessly want to get you in healthy relationships, get you plugged into the people you can have good conversations with. And we are passionate about that. So we use every opportunity to leverage that. So today, if you have some questions and you're like, "Ooh, I really got to wrestle with that. I need to talk to somebody. Guess what? We got a perfect opportunity. We have life groups tonight at 4.30. You be here. We got, we got kids covered. We'll watch your kids. We got childcare paid for and covered. You show up. We'll get you plugged into a group. And you can maybe wrestle through some of the questions that we're going to bring up today as we talk about Samson. Um, and so in this series, the consequences haven't caught up yet. I'm going to maybe challenge uh, some of you who were raised in church potentially, grew up in Sunday school, you might have a certain view of Samson and what got him to the place he was at. Uh, and today I might challenge some of those thinking, some, some thinking about Samson and what got him there. Uh, and so as we process Samson, I'm gonna catch all of us up. We're gonna kind of tell his backstory, tell it so that we're all on the same page, whether you grew up in church, it was the first time, like, who's Samson? What about his long hair? I don't care about Samson. Today you're gonna learn about Samson uh, and we're gonna catch you up. And for Samson, we know, we all know the moment where Samson's consequences do catch up, right? Where Samson gets to a moment where uh, it, it gets real. Like he loses the call of God on his life. He loses his anointing. And what he has in his anointing is his strength, like physical strength. He's, Samson, uh, throughout his life, is able to um, like destroy a lion just by shredding it apart. And a lion attacks him, he shreds it apart. He's able to kill all of these people that are trying to attack him with his own hands. And then he takes a, the jawbone of a donkey and destroys him. Like he's just bad to the bone. This is Samson. He's strong, he's got long hair and he's long hair. Everybody likes long hair, right? Y'all wouldn't be at this church if you didn't like long hair, right? Uh, and so Samson is, uh, is, is what in scripture we know is like a deliverer. And we read through, we're going to look at the book of Judges and his story shows up in Judges 14 through 16. And that translation of Judges probably uh, isn't, isn't an accurate word for them because they're more like deliverers. Um, and there's all of these moments where God is trying to send somebody that's specifically anointed and gifted to deliver Israel from their entrapment, to deliver Israel from the place that they were, that they shouldn't be, to deliver Israel out. And that's what Samson's called to do. So the very beginning of Samson's life, before he's ever born, uh, an angel shows up to Samson's mom. And he says that Samson is going to be a Nazarite from birth. And, and she already kind of knows what that means, right? They have an understanding of what a Nazarite is. It's a very specific vow that Samson's called to take. And it shows up in Numbers chapter six. It tells us what the Nazarite vow is. So when she hears that, she understands what vow he's called to take. And, she, and the angel tells her, hey, he's gonna be a Nazarite from birth. His whole life, he's gonna be a Nazarite. So she would understand what it means to be a Nazarite. And what it means to be a Nazarite is that you have to do three things. There's three commitments that you have. The first one is that you don't touch wine. 
wine. You don't drink wine. You don't have anything to do with wine. And in case you were worried, like, when does the grape juice become wine? Like, there's a, like a line in there where I get a little bit of wine, but it's really grape juice. No, no, it says don't even touch the grapes. Don't eat the grapes. Don't eat the seeds. Don't mess with the wine at all. So he doesn't have any excuse to sip on a little slightly fermented grape juice. He just needs to stay away from it. The second thing is to not touch a dead body. Don't touch a corpse. Don't be around a corpse. It says even if your own mother and father pass away, to stay inside of your Nazarite vow, you can't go near them. You can't touch them. That's, a, that's kind of a hard vow. It's kind of a, like God's being serious. He's not playing games about the wine. He's not playing games about dead bodies. And then the last one is that they won't cut their hair. So this is Samson from birth, never cut his hair, not supposed to touch wine, not supposed to touch a dead body. And that's, that's the vow that he's had from birth. And then we get to the moment where we see Samson lose his strength. The moment where uh, the, the Philistines who are ruling over Israel is saying, we gotta stop this guy. He's so strong, so powerful. He's, so, he's like, he's destroying the Philistines so quickly. They go to a woman named Delilah and like, hey, could you figure out why he's so strong? Because we can't do it. I mean, they've sent a thousand guys to defeat him and he takes them all out. He destroys guy after guy who's trying to fight him. He's bad to the bone. So, you know, when you can't fight him head on, you find a woman to fight him, right? That's how we do it. And so they go to Delilah like, we'll pay you money if you can figure out what makes him strong so that we can stop him from being strong. So Delilah begs him. He's in this relationship that he probably shouldn't have been in. And the most traditional view is that Delilah's the bad guy. Right? Like we like to look at Delilah and be like, well, this is Delilah's fault. Poor Samson. He was stuck in a bad position, got in the wrong relationship, and old Delilah made him suffer. Now, I don't think Delilah's a good character, but I also don't think Samson should have stayed there. Like he had plenty of opportunities to jump ship. Samson had all the opportunities in the world to not be in this relationship because the first time Delilah comes to Samson, she says, Hey, I want to know what your strength is. Like, tell me the secret to your strength. And the first time he lies, he tells her, okay, you know, I'm real strong. I've just destroyed all these Philistines. I'm bad to the bone. Here's how you could take away my strength. Here's what you can do. You take fresh bowstrings and you tie them around me while I'm asleep or wherever, and I can't, I can't break loose. I'm a, they, they, can, they can trap me. Well, first off, it's a red flag that he has to lie about the woman that he's with. But sure enough, he goes to sleep. She ties him with fresh bowstrings. Then she screams out, Samson, the Philistines are on you. They come attack him. He destroys the, the fresh bowstrings and he goes and kills the Philistines that are attacking him right? That should be enough. That should be the end of that story. The, re- the next verse should say, and Samson broke up with Delilah and never saw her again, right? It was very, we never, but no, no, Samson stays in a very unhealthy relationship. And the second time she's like, please tell me the strength. Like, no, girl, you, you got, you tried to get me beat up last time. I'm not doing it again. No, Samson is so lost in his choices that he tells her some, another lie. Well, it's new ropes. If you get brand new ropes and you tie me with those new ropes, then my strength will be gone. Sure enough, same thing happens. She ties him up. Listen, I don't know why Samson sleeps so deeply, why he can't wake up in the middle of somebody trying to tie him up. It's confusing. I don't know. I mean, are you having a little sip of the vineyard that you're not supposed to be drinking on? I don't know. That's a question we might wrestle with today. Uh, And so he's still asleep. She ties him up. Same thing. Samson, the Philistines are on you. They come attack. He destroys the rope and then he beats them up, kills them. Then a third time, again, okay, and then he broke up with her because he realized first time, shame on you, second time, shame on me, right? Like, that's on me, I should have seen it coming. No, 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 he stays with it, not making good choices. The third time, he gets a little bit closer to what he believes the truth is. 
The third time he tells her, well, if you take the seven locks on my hair, because most likely most scholars think he probably had dreadlocks because they were so obsessed about not cutting his hair, having a razor touch his hair. Some of them wouldn't even brush a comb through it because that was too close. There was a chance that the comb might pull a hair out and then you broke your vow, right? Isn't that crazy how close they were going to it? So most people think he was probably uh, had dreadlocks because he says, you tie the seven strands of my hair. So he had seven strands of hair to a loom. It's getting closer. Something about his hair, getting closer to the truth of what he believes might be true about how he's going to lose his strength. Sure enough, same thing. Samson wakes up, destroys the Philistines. We're like, come on, man, for real? Like, you can't, that's gotta be it, right? You gotta break up with this person. Like, you gotta stop. This is a bad position for you. Finally, she, she complains. She whines at him and, and begs him. Like, you gotta tell me you're hurting me. No, you're trying to hurt me. Like, right? Samson should be fighting back. But no, Samson finally tells her what he believes is the truth. And he says it like this in Judges chapter 16, verse 17. It says that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. He's in a Nazarite vow, but he only gives her one. I, that's, that's strange to me. There's three things in the Nazarite vow and he only gives her one. If you shave my head, my head's never been shaven. So there's a little bit of conflict for me in believing that he actually believes what he's saying. Right? Why does he think it's shaving the head? Why did he say like, like, I sleep so deeply, just pour some wine down my throat and then I'll have, I'll have lost the vow. Like I sleep so deeply, just throw a dead body on top of me when I'm asleep and then it'll be fine. No, no, he skips all the other two and goes straight to shave my head. Why is that? Why, does, why is that the one that finally happened? Why does that take place for him, for him to think that that might be it? And I actually think he's conflicted. I think he's conflicted on what is true in this moment. I think Samson is, is conflicted and there's like a paradox. I believe this to be true, but I actually don't believe it to be true. You ever have those things in your life where it's like, I know you're a good person because I married you, but I also am sometimes convinced you hate me and you're trying to kill me, right? You have those in your marriage. When you're in the middle of a fight, you're convinced. Like you have both things that are true and you're weighing which is true. You're weighing which reality there really is. Like, I know you're a good kid. I know I've poured into you, but you talk to me like that one more time. I will take your life. I brought you into this world. I will take you out of it, right? You have these, these things that are true in the moment that you feel at a moment and sometimes you also know aren't true, right? We all have that conflict. I think he's conflicted. And the reason I think he's conflicted is because when it happens, she does it. She shaves his head while he's sleeping. That's, bro, wake up. What are you doing? Like, how late are you staying up? Like, what? All right, so she shaves his head, and here's what happens. Verse 20 of chapter 16. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Uh, now, before reading this, that line didn't really get me, but looking into Samson's story and reading that very last line, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him is the exact line that I never want you to have to say. I never want you to have to feel. The, the whole point of this series is to avoid the moment in your life where you ever wake up and feel like the Lord has departed from you. That you wake up and feel like, I, what happened? Like I've lost everything. Like I'm not me anymore. I'm not who God has called me to be. That is the most terrifying. So when I say the consequences haven't caught up yet, these are the consequences I want you to avoid. There's a lot of stuff you can, you can make mistakes and dust your knees off and get back up. There's a lot of things you can do and still be okay. And then there's a moment where it feels like you've lost yourself. You've lost everything. 
And that's the moment that I don't want you to catch up to with your consequences. So today we'll try to at least start with one way we can prevent that from ever happening. And see, so his conflict, the reason I think he's conflict, conflicted and the reason this is so devastating is that he wakes up to this reality of something that's true and how, how devastating it would be to wake up to that is the fact that he wakes up and thinks to himself, I'll just do it like I've always done. I will just, I will just wake up and I'll, I'll be what I've always been. This will be fine. I'm gonna be okay. I'm just gonna do what I've always done. And the reason I think that he wakes up and, and thinks he can still do what he's always done is because he's broken a few of the other vows and this is the last one. So if he let me off on the first two, why wouldn't he let me off on this one? The reason I think Samson knew something was different about him, but still thought the grace of God existed for his life and still thought the, the spirit of God would come upon him and he'd be able to do exactly what he's always done is because he's lived in a period of life where he's lived under the grace of God and the consequences haven't caught up yet. So he's convinced he's in a good spot because you can't convince me that a guy who's never had razor sh shaved on his head, that he woke up and that's not the very first thing he noticed. Like something's different about me. You're gonna wake up, ladies, you wake up, your husband shaved your head. You're, that's, you're not gonna notice nothing else, but like what just happened? This is a dream because I will kill him. I will, he's gonna lose his life. Like I've had long hair long enough to know that if I woke up and my head is light and I feel all the breeze on my neck when I wake up, there's, uh, that's the first thing I'm gonna notice. I don't care if people are breaking in, there's a fire. I'm gonna be like, let's get the kids. What happened to my hair? That's gonna be the first thing. I'm like, where did my hair go? Let's get the kids. I'm gonna, and then I'll ask those questions later, but I'm gonna feel it when I first wake up. I think Samson, I mean, he had dreadlocks too, most likely. So it would have been a very tight woven part of his head. It would have been much heavier because he's never shaved his head. So it would have been, a, it would have been worse than you and I who, who trim our hair often. He would have had hair that weighed him down. And yet he woke up and thought to himself, well, I kind of thought this might be the last straw, but I've had the grace of God before. So surely now the consequences won't catch up. Surely now I'm going to be okay. And I would love to prevent you from ever feeling that. And the first question we might wrestle with is, does God really depart from us, right? Does, does God actually like leave us? Is that like, I thought he would never leave me nor forsake me, Jared. I've been, I've been raised in church. I know what some of these scriptures say. And I, I wouldn't say so much that God is leaving you at any point in your life, but he will let you finally suffer the consequences of your decisions. There is a moment where his grace is giving you a period of time where you can get it right, where you can fix it. And if you don't, if you keep going, he's eventually gonna say, that's as far as I can go. That, that's as far as my grace will extend to cover your consequences. The consequences sometimes feel like God has left us. In the Old Testament, when it describes the Lord departing from him, it's saying that like the gift that he had inside of him, the gift that he was called to, the anointing, his anointing wasn't there. Right, So who he was and who he was designed to be was pulled back from him because when he destroys a lion, when he defeats the Philistines, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and then he was able to do those things. And then all of a sudden, when he goes to do everything that he was called to do, everything that he knew he could do, the things that were easy for him before, all of a sudden it feels like God's not there. And we sometimes, when that happens, we can look back and go, why did God leave me? And God is going, I haven't moved. I've been right here. I'm, 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 I'm holding an umbrella so that you can stay out of the rain. And when you run out into the middle of the rain, I can only go so far with this umbrella. I can only protect you so much. At some point, the most gracious thing I can do for you is to let you suffer your consequences so that you can get healthy and come back. We see that in the story of the prodigal son, where he comes to the father and says, I want, I want out. I'm gone. I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this moment. 
And, God, and, the, and the prodigal son's father who represents God is like, okay. And the prodigal son's father sits on the porch and waits and waits. The most gracious thing he did for his son is let him suffer the consequences so he could come back and be all that he was called to be. Not sit under the umbrella and be bitter, but go out and find out that I've got more for you. I've called you to more. And so I never want us to get to that place where we've got to go find out on our own what it feels like to be without God. I never want us to get to the place where we lose the voice of God, the presence of God, the peace of God, the anointing of God of who we are. See, there are a lot of things in our life that seem simple. They seem easy right now. And then all of a sudden, if we get too far gone, if we think that we're, we, we don't have to suffer consequences, we live inside of this period of grace and don't make the adjustments and we find out the consequences, we can either look back and go, I messed up. Or you can say, why God did you leave me? And today I hope to prevent you ever saying, why, did, why God did you leave me? That you never even have to look back and go, all these consequences, because you got out of them quicker. You stopped before they ever started. And there's this moment that uh, I think of when I think about this, uh, of a worship pastor by the name of Mariah McManus-Goss. She's in a podcast interview and she's talking about a moment where she's in Nashville. And in Nashville, she's, she's like, she's actually breaking loose. She gets one of her songs on season six of, of Grey's Anatomy. So she's hit it, right? Everybody who likes Grey's Anatomy, she's hit it. I think she plummeted off the face of the earth after that. But, you know, it depends on what shows you like. And so she's making it in Nashville. She's like starting to catch, catch traction. She's about to get there. And she feels God tell her, I need you to go lead worship. What? I mean, everything seems like it's, it's working. I don't understand why I would go back that direction. This is fun. This is successful. Everybody looks at me and I'm making money. Like she's making good money now. And she says, I went back and led worship. Not because I didn't think I could be successful. I didn't think God was going to like, like be upset at me or, or, or frustrated with me or that he was going to like curse me in any way, shape or form. But I did know that there was a chance if I didn't listen to his voice now, I wouldn't be able to hear it the next time. That if I shut out the voice of God now, the next time he speaks to me, I may not be able to hear it. I may have calloused my heart to not be able to hear the voice of God. And what I want us to get to is to a place that we trust God enough, that we love God enough, that we're so desperate for the voice of God and the peace of God and the anointing of God that we will go as far and as fast in any direction God calls us to and able to, to avoid the consequences of ever waking up and going, oh, the spirit of God left me. My anointings, God, who I, who I am is gone. The, the thing that I'm called to do, I can't do anymore. I'm not gifted for that anymore because the spirit of God seems to have left me. And if you're honest with yourself, it'll be you that left him, not the other way around. And so how, do, how does Samson do that? What is, it, what is Samson's moment? And I wanna go all the way back. I wanna go all the way back to the moment that I think he, that he started down the wrong path. The moment that's way before Delilah that I think he starts all the way back. Now, to be fully transparent, there's a little bit of disagreement amongst theologians, uh, amongst, amongst biblical scholars, and it's usually divided amongst uh, Jewish scholars and Christian scholars about this moment. And there's this moment where Jewish scholars kind of would lean more towards, it was the Delilah thing that happened, and Christian scholars are gonna look back and say, no, 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 he, he broke, this Nazarite vows. Because some of the Jewish scholars would argue that he, broke, he didn't have to follow all the other Nazarite vows because he was a lifelong Nazarite, so he didn't have to follow them. The Christian scholars would maybe look back and go, no, here's some moments. Here's some moments where he broke it. And the reason that I, I lean that, that route is because I tend to believe that God has always given us a way out. I tend to believe that God has always, always given us a way of escape. 
that he's not, there's, there's very few moments where God is saying, no, 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 I just wanted you to suffer. There's very few moments in scripture at all that, that, that the pain that we go through wasn't just a, a direct result of our own bad choices. Almost every single time, it is a direct result of our choices. And I would suggest, if you're in this boat of wrestling of what you believe and how you see the world, any the, theology, any mindset that makes you trapped in the world, out of control and without free will, I would suggest is not a mindset or a theology that's healthy for your future. Anytime you become the victim and you don't have a choice in the circumstance, it means you've immediately given up control and you're at no fault and you can't make any choices to get out. Well, this isn't my fault because fill in the blank. It isn't my fault and that will trap us versus looking at maybe what Samson did and saying, if I can assess what Samson could have got out of quicker and realize quicker, maybe in my own life, I can assess some areas where I can get out before the consequences catch up to me, before Delilah ever gets into my life, before I got to wrestle through the decision the second and the third time to tell her a lie, that I can wrestle through before I ever get to that position. And the first one I think uh, is that Samson breaks the Nazarite vow when it comes to wine when it comes to the vineyard. They, see, they were so obsessive. Like I said about combing your hair, they wouldn't even comb your hair. One of the Jewish scholars says this way. It's a quote from um, some old writing that says, go away, O Nazarite. Take the long way around. Take the long way around so that you may not come near the vineyard. Like, don't even touch it. Don't even come close to it. And yet, here's what Samson does in Judges chapter 14, verses five and six. It says, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother or his mother what he had done. So uh, at first reading, I look at this story and I think, well, Samson's mom and dad seem to have been with him. But it seems like that first verse is a separate uh, part of a narrative, right? They all went down to Timnah and then Samson came to the vineyards. They all went down to Timnah and Samson went to the vineyards while mom and dad were doing something else. The reason I think that is because I would be pretty shocked if they were walking in the vineyard together and they didn't notice a lion roaring at their son and him just shredding them apart and the blood and the guts that are split apart. Yeah, like very gladiator-esque, you know what I'm talking about? Just destroying this lion, blood, guts, and everything. They don't notice that. They don't notice they're walking with him. He's got blood on his hands. They don't notice that unless this is two parts of a narrative. They went down to the area together and Samson went off on his own to a vineyard. The second reason I think that he uh, is in the vineyard, the second reason I think that his, his mom and dad were in the vineyard with him is because he doesn't tell him, right? The second reason that I think that the that scripture is indicating to us that the vineyard is a place that he shouldn't be is because Samson was unwilling to tell his mom and dad what took place. Samson's not willing to go and tell his mom because if he's, if he's gonna tell his mom, hey, guess what I did? Cool, where was that at? Let's go see this. Oh, no, I wasn't at the vineyard. I wouldn't hang out at the vineyard. It was another place. I, I killed a lion at this, uh, at this other, it was like a, a, a cornfield. It was a cornfield, definitely a cornfield. I killed a lion there, that's where it was. But then something ate it and took it off. Those we don't talk about it anymore, right? He just knows to stay away from this story because his mom and dad would not have approved of him being in the vineyard because they knew that an angel came and spoke to them and said, he is supposed to be a Nazarite. Stay away from the grapes. Don't touch the grapes. Don't wait for them to ferment. Don't touch the grapes. Whatever you do, stay away from the grapes. Not the skin, not the seed. No part of the grapes should you partake in. So what are you doing in the vineyard? If you're not supposed to touch grapes, if you're not supposed to eat grapes, what are you doing in a vineyard? 
And I think Samson's aware that what he's doing is something he should not be doing because he's not willing to tell his mom and dad. So first red flag, if you're like thinking through the things in your life that you're called to do and who you're called to be and where you're called to go in life, who you're willing to tell and who you're willing not to tell is a big red flag on the call of God in your life, right? So, so you have some friends that you can tell anything to and they're gonna have your back probably in an unhealthy way. You have a handful of friends potentially that you can tell anything to and you can talk about your spouse and they're gonna back you up. Yeah, they're, they're a complete jerk. You were 100% in the right. They did everything wrong and you were right. You have some friends that you can call and say, hey, someone messed up. They hurt me. And they're like, yeah, let me get my gun. We'll go take care of this, right? Those kind of friends that always got your back and never have a second set of questions. Like, hey, did, did maybe, is there some things we can help? Can we get you some counseling? Did that person really hurt you that bad? Is it worth killing them? Is it worth going to prison for this situation, right? They'll ask a second layer of questions. And there's people that you'll call that you know that they know the best about you, they believe the best in you, and they've got your back. Those are the people that you don't tell about when you've been in the vineyard. Those are the people that you don't tell the story to of the place that you know you shouldn't have been And that's an indication that maybe you are where you shouldn't be is if there's some people that love you, that are godly, that have your back, but you won't talk about it with them. Red flag, red flag. And the question I want us to answer today, the question we'll wrestle with today is where is your vineyard? What is your vineyard? And one of the the best ways to indicate what your vineyard might be are the things that you don't talk about to the people who who love you most. The the godly people in your life, the things that you're unwilling, you're ashamed to talk to them about is a good indication that you're in a place that God has not called you to be. And for Samson, he's tricked, he's convinced, he believes that he's okay. He doesn't read the red flag because I would bet Samson can look and realize, well, the spirit of God did come upon me to destroy this lion. So it must be justified that I'm in the wrong place because I got out of it. We sometimes can justify bad behavior because the consequences haven't yet caught up. We can justify poor decisions because well, we didn't get caught. So it must've been the grace of God. God must be with me on this situation. I must be okay because I didn't, I didn't catch up. And the, 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 situa- the thing about consequences in the kingdom of God is twofold. Number one, the, the grace of God is not just about you. God is trying to give you grace so that you can raise your kids right, so that you can have a healthy marriage, so that you can live the future of who you are affecting well. And he wants to give you grace so that you can turn and get away from the vineyard before the consequences get caught up because it's not just about you. For Samson, he's supposed to deliver the people of Israel. He's supposed to set a nation free. So his choice to be in the vineyard, God is saying, I don't want to make Israel suffer for your stupid decisions. So I'm going to give you a little bit of grace. I'm going to save you from this lion in this moment. I'm going to give you grace for this period so that you can learn your your, your consequences before it has to make the, the nation of Israel suffer. So the spirit of the Lord comes upon him not to justify his bad behavior, but because it's got grace for Israel and grace for Samson. The second thing about consequences that, that would be nice if it didn't work this way, actually, is that uh, the way that scripture indicates like life and choices is more like a harvest culture, right? They, they live in a harvest culture where you would plant a seed and then you would have to wait till next season to see the result of your actions. That's a harvest culture. I'm going to plant a seed and I'm going to water until the ground and, and take care of it, but I don't get the results immediately. I have to wait for the results of my good behavior. And it's the same with our bad behavior. 
You plant an oak tree, it's gonna take a long, long time before you see that oak tree at its fullest. And we have so many things in our life that we are planting seeds for unhealthy things in our life. And we're like, well, it must be okay because I don't see any I don't see any fruit from that. It must be okay that I did these bad things. And the grace of God is on you to give you some time to kill the seed that's unhealthy for your life and for your family. That we're planting and we it would be so nice. I don't like maybe we get there, we can talk to God about it. Cause it'd be so cool if we're like, man, I'm trying to eat healthy. We eat something unhealthy and we have like a red light that pops up on the spot where that fat's gonna go. You know what I'm saying? Like just an indicator light. Like that was a bad, that was a bad choice. It's going to my hips. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm gonna, I don't, I don't want that, right? That would be so nice. Like, oh hey, well, my belly's stuck out. I ate a cheeseburger and now my belly's out. Perfect. Now I know not to do that. Don't eat the cheeseburger because immediately, but it's gonna be cheeseburger after cheeseburger after cheeseburger and piece of pizza and then a little bit of more sugar. Make sure you add a coke, a diet coke every once in a while, add some more Coke. And all of a sudden you're like, where did this gut come from? Why do I, why did I gain all this weight? It's because it's a long-term moment that you stayed in and didn't register the consequences. And just in case you're wondering, I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about sin in your life that over and over and over again, you go to places you shouldn't go. You do things, you know, you shouldn't do. And then all of a sudden you're like, why? And so this quote that's on the screen, is a quote that I've heard in my childhood. I don't even know where it comes from. And so what scripture says uh, about things that we're called to do in our life is that if you know the good you should do and you don't do it, it's sin to you. And so for the things that you know you shouldn't be doing, the things that the places you know you shouldn't be, I want you to catch this quote. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. But I didn't, <laughs> I got away with it. I got away with it. I, I read a stat this week that said for the, a person who gets a DUI, they have on average driven drunk 80 times before they got caught. 80 times. All it would take was three for me to think that I'm, I'm, I'm miraculous. Like I'm gonna get away with this. I got it three times. I'm good. I'm in the clear. 80 times before you got caught up. And just like the grace of God and the mercy of God, sometimes we think when we get caught, it's like, oh, that's the worst. I can't believe I've got to suffer these consequences. And sometimes even the consequences are the grace of God on your life. Because you get pulled over and you get a DUI, that is the grace of God that you didn't kill nobody. You lose your license, that's the grace of God that you didn't hurt nobody in the process of 80 stupid decisions over and over again. And God is saying, I've got more for you, stop. Before you kill somebody, the grace, the reason you made it home was not because you can drink with your left hand and drive with your right. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. No, you have the grace of God because he wants more for you and he's trying to get you to catch it before it's too late. So where's your vineyard? Let's assess where your vineyard, where your vineyard might be. Your vineyard is an indication, first off, the very first indication of the people you won't talk about your vineyard with. I would go there, I would, but I ain't going to tell nobody about that. And the, the vineyard is not indicated. The vineyard is not indicated by uh, direct results, right? E even good stuff sometimes, like even on the positive side, just because this pill makes me feel good right now doesn't mean that it's healthy long-term. Just because this drink gets me through the night doesn't mean it's healthy long-term. I'm going to suffer long-term consequences just because it feels good or it makes me happy. Just because this relationship feels good and makes me happy doesn't mean it's healthy long-term. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences. So the positive and negative results of your consequences aren't indications that you're in the right spot. Who you're going to talk to about it is a good indication. Who you're going to talk to about what you do or don't do is a good indication of maybe where your vineyard's at. And the last thing is what other people do is not a good indication of your vineyard. Everybody else in Israel could go through that, that vineyard. 
Everybody else in Israel, all the people except for people who took specific short-term Nazarite vows could do all the things Samson couldn't do. They could shave their head anytime they wanted to. The call of God on your life, the call of God that you're supposed to live out isn't, isn't comparative. The sin, the, the sin for you might not be sin for everybody else. There are things in our life that are black and white. We can look at scripture, we know this is sin. Those are black and white. And then there are things that are our vineyards, vineyards because we know who God has called us to be. We know what's unhealthy for us. We know what we wouldn't tell other people about. That's your vineyard. And you can say all you want, well, so-and-so can do such and such, so I must be okay doing that. And God is saying, no, 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 they don't have the spirit of God like you have the spirit of God. They may not even be a child of God yet. They may not have committed to following Jesus. They don't have the anointing that you had. So just because so-and-so can get away with it isn't an excuse that you can be in the vineyard. So where's your vineyard? I'm gonna give you a few examples and I want you to wrestle. I'm gonna leave you with this question of where your vineyard's at. Like, where's your vineyard? For some of us, it might be uh, just stuff, just stuff. Your vineyard might be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put some real boundaries on what I purchase or don't purchase. Because before I know it, I'll catch myself in debt. I, I, I think it's okay to make this one Amazon purchase. I think it's okay to buy this truck. I think it's okay to buy this house. I think it's all okay. I think it's okay, everybody else is doing it. It looks like they have a nice house. It looks like they have a nice truck. It looks like they have nice stuff. They have an Amazon account. They're buying left and right. They're going to Target all the time. They're going to Walmart all the time. They are okay, so I must be okay doing it. And God is saying, their calling isn't your calling. Maybe, just maybe, delete the account, cut the, cut the debt, because what I wanna do with you and your family is different than what I want to do with theirs. And your, your vineyard might be something that isn't sin for somebody else, but it is sin for you. Oh, well, they, they can do that. They can buy that and go in debt and it's not a sin for them. Yeah, yeah, because they have a different anointing, a different calling. You have to know your vineyard and be open enough to desire the voice of God deep enough that you're willing to cut and run anything you have to in order to never wake up and go, it feels like God departed from me. Your vineyard might be uh, something as simple as like the internet late at night. But you know, other people do late night works. Other people stay up late and get the emails done. Other people stay up. Yeah, but you know, nine times out of 10 where your internet browser history goes to when you're up past 10 o'clock on the internet. So maybe I need to put some boundaries. Maybe that computer needs to be shut down. Maybe I need to push that thing aside. Maybe I need to run from my vineyard. It's okay for everybody else, but I know what it looks like for me. Maybe it's some, uh, some triggers on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You got some triggers. And for everybody else, it's cool. They can scroll. It don't affect them. But you got to say something. And you know you got to say something. Like, yeah, they ain't going to get away with that. I'm going to tell them what I think about politics. I'm going to tell them what I'm going to tell them about that. They're wrong about Jesus too. I'll tell them about that too. And you can't run away from it. And you, keep gotta, you got to keep talking. You got to keep telling them. It's not that bad. They needed to know the truth. They needed for me to speak it. Until you go to apply for another job and somebody looks at your Facebook history and is like, I don't want this person. They cause drama. They cause stuff on, on, online. They're going to cause drama in my business. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Maybe there's a bunch of things. There's a lot of things that you might need to be aware of. Maybe it's how clearly you speak truth. Like, oh, I can, I'll just leave out a few details. I don't lie. <laughs> I'll just leave out a few details so that they understand it the way I want them to understand it. I exaggerate just a little bit so that I can get them on my side. And before you know it, you stayed in the vineyard long enough that nobody trusts your word. Nobody trusts the word that you're saying. Like, I don't understand why people trust me. I told them this, I told them that. Because you've spent years being in the vineyard, telling people over and over again, half-truths and exaggerations, and you're wondering why you're not trusted. What's your vineyard? Your vineyard might be, uh, might just be how you treat your kids. Yelling might work right now until that's the only voice they listen to. 
is yelling. Oh no, I just gotta get my kids straight. Maybe, but maybe you're training them to only listen when you yell and before you know it, they don't listen to nobody or anything because it's all white noise to them. Maybe your vineyard is the place of mourning and a place of sadness. That's a weird one because for some of us, it's like, why would you stay in that vineyard? That's not even fun. Sometimes it's, it feels comfortable to be in a place of negativity. You wanna call it realism, I just keep it real. I just talk straight, that's just how it is. But you like to stay in a place of negativity because the last few times you've hoped for something more, you've been let down. So it's easier to be sad. It's easier to be real. It's easier to be negative. And God is saying, that's not your spot. I've called you to hope. That, that, that place of sadness, that place of sorrow, that, that place of despair, it might feel good because then you know you don't gotta be let down. If I'm always expecting the worst, then I'll never be let down, right? So I just might as well stay there because that's more comfortable. And God is saying, I'm calling you to more. I'm calling you to deliver some people. I'm calling you to provide hope. I'm calling you out of the vineyard. I'm calling you to get out of the vineyard and recognize how consequences work. It's not an outward display. Nobody cares what you look like on the outside when it comes to the end of time. It don't matter what you look like. You're not gonna be able to tell Jesus, hey, look at my car. I must've been doing something right. Look at my kids, I must've done something right. Look at my marriage, I must've done something right. And Jesus is gonna tell you like this in Matthew chapter seven, verse 22. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Didn't we look like we were crushing it? And we showed, to church, showed up to church every Sunday. I was really consistent. Didn't I look good, Jesus? Didn't, I, didn't it seem good? And Jesus is gonna be like, no, no, no. You were in a vineyard I called you not to be in. I wanted to change your heart, not your external outcomes. I wanna change you. I wanted you to grow. I wanted you to develop. I didn't, I didn't need you for your long hair and delivering Israel also. I needed you to become the man or woman of God you were called to be in the process of your anointing and your gifting and your calling. The vineyard is, is just not gonna satisfy the way the call of God is. And so today, my prayer is that you're so hungry for the voice of God, you're so hungry for the call of God that you trust God enough to run away from the vineyard. I mean, go the long way around. I'll change my business practices so that I make sure my heart is pure. Like I'll change what nights of the week we go on date night to make sure that my heart is pure. I'm gonna change my schedule so I make up to show up to church the way that I'm called to consistently so I can hear the voice of God in my life consistently. I will adjust my drive to work so I can listen to worship longer so that I can have the voice of God speaking in my life. I'm so desperate for the voice of God in my life. I will run as fast as I can possibly run to get away from that vineyard because I don't want anything to do with the consequences that this world has to offer. I want God's calling, God's anointing. I never want to wake up and feel like, God, where are you? What happened? You may never be able to look back and go, oh, it was the vineyard. It was the vineyard. So run today from the vineyard. Find out what your vineyard is. Come back tonight, have conversations about your vineyard. Figure out whatever you got to do to make sure that the vineyard doesn't lead you to the Delilah, that leads you to the other place, that leads you to consequences where you wake up and you go, oh, what just happened? Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's gonna send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. 
And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.